Hi guys, I hope everyone is doing well. Today in the Casa cast, we are interviewing the lovely and amazing Andrew Biggio, who unfortunately did not bring his dog Chongo, which, um, no hard feelings, but I hope everyone knows how I feel about dogs. I would have four billion of them if I could. So a little bit of a trigger warning for this episode, um, just to let you guys know. In this interview, we do talk a little bit about war, guns, and hostage situations. Andrew is a police officer, so this is part of our Behind the Badge podcast um, podcast series. So if that would be difficult triggering for you, I would suggest you skip over those parts. Um, but other than that, he's a really cool guy to talk to. So yeah, I hope you all enjoy. Cast. Um, this is Rhiannon. I hope you know me by now. It's been like two million episodes. Um, I know that math isn't right, but just it's been a long day. Um, so we today have a very special guest. We are lacking one of our our series regulars, Steve Rogers. Muy triste. He's just he's he's a little he's a little microphone shy today. Um, but today we are here with another police officer similar to our last episode with Sam Peterson. Um, so let's just, let's get right into check-in. Um, so for check-in, we do name, age, pronouns. Uh, you don't have to do age if you don't want to. And then the check-in question for today is, what is your favorite item that you've bought this year? Like, what is your favorite thing that you've spent money on this year? So I'll go first. My name's Rhiannon, I'm 18, I use she, her, hers pronouns, and, oh, okay, so this year I just, like, I got a lot of money for graduation, and people were just, like, giving me checks, and I was like, I should not have this much money, so I went on Mercari, and I was like, oh, there's a Kate Spade wallet on sale, what and, is like, Mercari? it's like a, like, a yard sale app, or, like, a garage oh, nice. sale app, so yeah, it's just, yeah, like, yeah. a bunch of discount, like, like a Poshmark tick thing, yeah, 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 it's cool. And so, like, this lady was selling, like, a Kate Spade wallet that should have been, like, $150 for, like, 60 bucks. And I was like, I gotta have that. So now I have it. And it has strawberries on it. And it's pink. And I love pink. So. Nice. Yeah. You're up. I'm up. Okay. I'm Noah. I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm 24 and 7 twelfths. That's something I do every day with the kids. They love it. <laughs> I don't know if they, they love don't it. They don't love it. They don't love it. All right. Whatever. Uh, and something I bought this year that I'm that I was most excited about. Probably I, uh, in June, like mid June, I went to Chicago, um, with my partner to see her family. And, uh, I would say like, it was just a great trip. And so, you know, it also costs a lot of money to travel. (laughs) The flight, the Airbnb, it was all lovely. So that was probably my, my best expense of the year. No doubt. Yeah. My name is Andrew Biggio. I use he, him, his pronouns as well. Um, my favorite thing this year I purchased was without a doubt a 1945 Willys Jeep, which if you don't know what that is, it's a World War II Jeep. I drove all the way to Pennsylvania just to get it. Um, a World War II veteran who was a mechanic during the war had restored it, rebuilt it, and was in immaculate condition, passed away. He passed away in 2017 and the family was selling it. 
and I sent them a little uh, video on myself and who I am, and they gave me a remarkable deal on it that I had to leave Winthrop immediately, drive to Pennsylvania with a trailer, and bring it home. I love that. Mm -hmm. So now you're going to donate it to Casa? Yeah, right. I just had it in the uh, Horribles Parade for the first time, so it was very good. Yeah. Does it drive? It sure does, yeah. Yep, yep, drives fine. Does it have one of those, I know some of the older cars have like the antique license plate, you know, like the, <clears> those like the ones you see on the street where you know that they're. Yeah. Like yeah. I, um, so it's all, yeah, it's all about uh, those antique license plates. It's a hundred percent eligible for an antique license plate. I believe anything after 30 years, oh, really? um, but I have a, a regular veteran plate on there. So cool. um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I taught myself how to drive stick shift on it. And... There you go. It's awesome. So, you're a cop, mm-hmm. right? So, what what's your role with the Winter Police Department? I know we met you with, like, our first pizza with cops, and we met Chongo there as well. I have separate questions for Chongo, but since <laughs> he's not here... Oh, he would have been sitting right there, too. <laughs> so, what's, what's your... Chongo is an English bulldog, by the way, <laughs> if anyone wondering. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Oh, I, I'm Chongo's biggest fan. Um, I was imagining a German Shepherd the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> What's your role in the police department? Like, what do you do? I have uh, several roles with uh, Winthrop PD. I am a regular patrolman, uh, usually during the week, um, which means I wear a uniform, I respond to calls, or I do any type of proactive police work in a uniform. Um, I also have been an active hand in the uh, our basically modified drug unit, um, being able to... Uh, intercept and also purchase uh, fentanyl and heroin off the streets from people um, with a web of informants. And then I am also actively uh, twice a month uh, with the regional SWAT team, which includes um, Malden, Everett, Revere, Winthrop, and the Suffolk County Sheriffs in case there are any um, total and utter emergencies or barricaded subjects or uh, hostage situations uh, in that regional area. And then of course, um, sometimes we might get pulled to even bigger regional areas, um, which happened a few weeks ago on I-95 with the Moorish nation taking over the highway. So um, those are my really three prong uh, things with Winter PD. Um, but most of the time I am regular patrol. Were you there when the Moorish like militia? So I, uh, I would not respond uh, myself to that actual call. Um, believe I was out of state uh, doing my, my second job on that particular call out. We call them call outs. Um, so I was not physically there for that one. Yeah. How often, sorry, I'm, mm-hmm. like, I'm focusing on the SWAT part. I think that's so interesting because I didn't know Winthrop had like a, because Winthrop's so tiny. Like, yeah, we, we right. We have two people from our department dedicated to that regional yeah. SWAT team because Sometimes Everett may not have all the bodies they need for an emergency. Malden may not, Revere may not. So they need to really pull from every from all the communities for a, a, a certain situation that requires a ballistic vest, a helmet, uh, a rifle, um, a shield, you know. And it's it's been um, – we've had instances where somebody's in a house with a gun and they're refusing to come out. And eventually, after 10 hours of negotiating, you, someone has to go in there and get the guy, get him hopefully safely how often if i can how often do you want to go on the um it depends it's been an active year for sure um 
So some some SWAT missions are planned, uh, some uh, most are not. Um, planned meaning, okay, um, detect, a detective's unit in Malden Revere has done 10 drug buys from this particular house and they know there's uh, five people in that house that are heavily armed. They can't just send regular officers in there. It has to be like a five in, five in the morning. Um, knock on the door, please, please, please. No one comes. The door gets, you know, busted open, and we try to secure the whole scene safely as possible. Um, and that's usually depending who's in the house. If you have someone in the house who has uh, has pr uh, previous firearm charges, is a violent history, has been time in jail for injuring or killing someone before, um, you know, that's when you would use the SWAT team. And then the second time, that those, those were what we would call. Um, warrant warrants you know um and then secondly is barricaded subjects uh hostage negotiations um things like that uh, a barricaded subject basically is someone who has committed a crime mostly at the time it's a felony and will not surrender to the police they have him in a house they have him anywhere he's threatened to kill everybody in and around him not going back to jail and we negotiate with them for for sometimes it could take a day two days um we don't want to use lethal force. Nobody does. It's the worst moment of your life uh, if you do. But you sometimes have to save either yourself or the civilians in the community. Um, our SWAT team had a call just three nights ago uh, in Everett. And the guy had um, injured his girlfriend, had previous firearm charges, and then was just running around his house with a samurai sword and not wanting to go back to jail. And he was cutting the windows out of the houses and threatening to chop off our heads, threatening to kill this person, that person. And then eventually he comes running out, out of the house with at us with the samurai sword. So. You might need a trigger warning. Yep, that's, that's okay. the note that I'm making. Sorry, she was asking me about SWAT. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, no it, I mean like right at the beginning. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yep. Um, so tell us about yourself. Mm -hmm. outside of the police department like what what do you do where are you from Beyond the badge Beyond yeah the badge. okay um so before uh, i entered the police force i was in the marine corps uh for six years uh marine infantry sergeant um did uh tours in iraq afghanistan and um that was in uh, 2007 i was in iraq um, and then 2011, I was in uh, Helmand, uh, Nimroz province of Afghanistan to hold that back from um, what the Taliban had retaken after we had spent so much time in Iraq. Um, you guys are kind of, you guys are like 15 years younger than me, I think. <clears throat> I'm 34, but um, I was in ninth grade when 9-11 happened. So I remember watching the towers fall and people jumping out of the towers and burning to death and um, it was something that, you know, I wanted to serve my country right away as fast as possible. And I thought I was going to miss the wars because I'm in eighth or ninth grade, I think at that time. And I'm like, okay, by the time I graduate, it's going to be over. And it wasn't, both wars were waiting for me. Um, and I served honorably and it definitely altered my life in a certain direction because my whole family had been in the insurance business for years, Biggio insurance. And I, that was what was expected of me to do. And then I just wanted to continue to wear a uniform after the military and continue to serve and help people because I loved, you know, obviously it was very dangerous, especially in Afghanistan, but 
um, as far as, you know, casualties, but there was nothing better protecting people, giving them clean bottles of water, redoing the roads for them, um, how much they looked up to America and Americans and how they wanted to be like us and dress like us. And it just, it was great being an influence to a, a, a good portion of the people who live in those countries. And so I wanted to do the same at home. I didn't want to be away from home anymore in the military. I missed my family. I missed my friends. I was missing out on a ton going on. Well, at least you feel like that when you're 18 years old in Iraq and you wait in line to use the computers on the base to see what everyone's doing on Facebook and you see, oh, we're all, they're all at Halloween parties or they're apple picking. You feel like you're missing a lot. And then you get back and you realize, well, I wasn't really missing anything. It's the same old, same old thing. But um, I never wanted to make a career out of the military. I just wanted to do my service and get out because the World War II veterans were an inspiration to me and so on and so forth. So I got out, then I completed college, got a master's degree and still decided police was what I wanted to do. And, Where did you get your degree? Um, I have my bachelor's degree in sociology. Me too. <laughs> I think uh, I think there was a minor in um, I think I went to Suffolk University, and at that time they did not have actual criminal justice as the title of their degree, so it was like sociology with a minor in criminology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got a degree in homeland security for a master's program at Northeastern. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. <clears throat> That's really cool. So you've mentioned veterans like four times mm-hmm. now. I assume that that's a lot of what you do. And I'm saying that I assume that even though you already know that. Yeah, outside of work, I'm a best-selling author too. Uh, I wrote a book on um, World War Two. World so War Two. Thank II. you for taking taking that segue away from me. Okay. I had nothing planned for that. Okay. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm a number one best-selling <laughs> author in World War Two and World War Two history and veterans history. That's really cool. Um, I'm a uh, rated number one best Amazon um, in history. Uh, yeah, editor's wow. choice. Um, I've sold over ten thousand books, and um, that's what I do on the side. Um, besides doing police work, that's my outlet. That will take any bad thing going on in this world, and I channel it to that world. That's what I do. Yeah. Nothing can stop that, even your worst days, <clears throat> um, which obviously we had one a couple weeks ago in Winthrop, um, which brought back a lot of feelings and memories and emotions of stuff I buried over in Iraq and Afghanistan. But that's part of the job. This is going to happen. That's what you're designed for. That's why you're wearing that uniform, and you need to be the buffer between basically evil and society that has to go on. So, um, so what you do is I get, you know what I do? I, after that incident, I was, I got on a plane and I went and interviewed some World War II veteran in Texas. And that was boom. The next thing you know, you, you forget about it. So. And that's why we couldn't get him in for the podcast. That's true. Yep. That is true. I was in Alabama, Texas, and Louisiana, three different states wow. doing more for that book. Cause the book still, the book only came out June 1st, by the way. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it is just a grand slam of an of a thing I did, but our original plan was like, let's get in before the book comes out, so we can do some promo and also get in before his schedule like <laughs> completely blows up. Before he's going on all the late night talk shows. Yeah. Oh, I, I already did about a hundred plus radio stations and podcasts since wow. since May till now. So you're like the only reason why I'm not doing them now is because the book is sold out everywhere, and we're waiting on the second printing. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I, I go to Book Depot like every single day. I'm like, do you have a rifle? I think I she's working on getting them. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I gotta con get in touch with her. But um, I think she was working on getting them. They're all in back order because they had to reprint six thousand copies. So. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's yeah. that's big. That's really cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um. Can you tell us like, what, what is the book about? It's called The Rifle. Why the Rifle? Great question. So, um, my grandfather's brother was killed in World War II. He was only 19 years old. He is the original Andrew Biggio. He's the first one. Um, well, he's technically the second one. My great-grandfather was Andrew Biggio, but he was the namesake of my great-grandfather. Unfortunately, gave his life for his country in uh, Italy during World War II. He was a U.S. soldier fighting in Italy to rid Italy of the Nazi occupation. Uh, he was killed um, on September 17th, 1944, um, taking an elevated position, a hill in uh, the village of Barbarino, town of Barbarino, Italy, which still stands today. Um, and he, I started to read his letters he wrote home after he had died. So um, let me rephrase that. I, re I read the letters he wrote home before he died. So he was writing letters to his mother as a 19 year old kid in the war before uh, obviously he met his end in um, during that battle. So it was just really sad to see, you know, I had survived two wars and this poor kid gets killed in this war. And I was trying to understand his thoughts, what he was going through his head, how he was scared, how he was brave at some times. And then I read one letter about the M1 rifle. So the M1 rifle was the standard rifle of that time. That's what they were issued when they got recruited from home or not recruited, but drafted back then. You're given this rifle and you're training with it. You live with it. You sleep with it. And this is ultimately what you carried through Europe or carried through the Pacific Islands. And you were glued to this thing. It became a piece of you. And he was talking to his mother and how much he enjoyed this, this M1 rifle. So I said, you know what? I got to go out and buy one. I want to feel what he felt. I want to hold what he held. We should keep it in the family. The poor kid passed away with this tool, this instrument. And I went and bought one. And uh, it, it was like satisfactory only for so long. And I decided to take it to a World War II veteran and put it in their hands again, 75 years later. Do you remember this? And I took it to a gentleman named Joe Drago who fought in the Battle of Okinawa, Japan. He was a Marine. I was a Marine. We both bonded very well. But when I put this rifle into his hands 70 years later, I mean, it was like a time machine. He put raised it to his shoulder. He's waving around. He's smiling ear to ear. And he's looking at it. And he's, I mean, this guy's a 92-year-old, weak old man raising this rifle to his shoulder and waving around, aiming in and telling me two and a half hours about the Battle of Okinawa. And I sat there mesmerized by this. And I said, I never want to forget this moment. Can you sign your name on my the wooden stock of the rifle? And he did. He signed his name on it. And I left his house and I just said, I am hooked. I want to get as many signatures on this rifle as possible. So six years later, I got over 200 World War II veterans to sign the rifle. And I interviewed them at length for two to three hours about their experiences in war and how to live, most of all, how to live a successful life after combat. Because these guys were in their 90s. They saw heinish, you know, hellish things when they were in their teens, but they were able to come home, live a successful life, have a family, have a career, have kids, go to college, become a police officer, become a postman, become a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer, go on. The list goes on. Insurance broker. Um, 
And if they did it, then so can our younger veterans. And I wrote, that's how I wrote the book. I picked 19 of the best stories from that rifle and I made the novel. Wow. I love that. That's, that's really cool. That is really cool. Um, I feel like, I don't know, am I allowed to like talk about this on the podcast? Um, I feel like guns are such a taboo subject these days and then having a tool such as a rifle. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's 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 um, psychopaths have ruined um, a genuine mission like mine. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, I remember I was invited to the California Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Um, the Japanese Americans, Japanese Americans who fought for or America, mm-hmm. were in a segregated unit during World War II. They fought in Italy and they became one of the most highly decorated units of all time. They invited me to their reunion, one of their last reunions in Las Vegas with the rifle. This is only a few months after that person killed 50 or I forget how many people at the country concert with, mm-hmm. with a rifle. And um, I got it done. I was able to bring the rifle there and, and you know more or less sneak it into the hotel to have the men sign it. But... It was an une- un- uneasy feeling walking across a casino floor with a rifle case, um, and you know, and this is a this is an old wooden rifle that holds eight bullets. It's not these you know the thirty round magazine um, assault rifles and stuff like that. So it, it's a tad bit different, but um, the you know the morality of it is is like weapons are um, the worst thing ever created because it harms people and sometimes they're needed to protect people. So it's, um, it's, it's, you know, what's funny though, is that both people on the spectrum of who are definitely anti-gun and pro-gun both love the book <laughs> because world war two was really one of those wars. That was a definition of black and white, you know? So it, it was, and it wasn't. So we could talk for, for hours on some of the war crimes that happened in world war two but at the end of the day the mission was defeat imperial japan and defeat nazism so how do you do that <clears throat> so if you guys can hear the clanging uh Fatma just walked in with her hydroflask and all of her keys so outside of your work with veterans and as a police officer what do you do to like, I know you said that you take the stories of these veterans and you interview them and that's kind of like you're de-stressing, but what do you do outside of all of that? Like that sounds like such a heavy thing to take. It on. is, it is. And it does catch up with you now and then. Uh, I have a beautiful son who's two years old and I have another son on the way. Um, he'll be here any day, really. Uh, so Andy, the fifth, the fifth Andrew video and Charles, Charlie, um, and I really do actually this, obviously no one in life is perfect, but I have to make more time for them. Um, but at the same time, I'm pushing this book and I'm fighting for that because I want to make it with the book, right? If it goes to TV or movies, well then you, it's, that's the, that's the big time. That's what every author dream is to mm-hmm. make, to make their book go to the silver screen period. That's the only way anyone really makes it unless you wrote 
Harry Potter or Fifty Shades of Grey or these books that just go bananas. Oh God, never compare Fifty Shades of Grey and Harry Potter, right. please. But, but uh, what I'm saying is those are two books that didn't need to go to movie to make their authors very, 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 very successful. Um, most of the time, and authors do not make a ton of money and they need um, Amazon Prime or um, Netflix to make it. Mm -hmm. And that would be the greatest thing, right? If I can trade in the police uniform to go and write for my own miniseries in Hollywood, then duh, <laughs> right? That's what I got to do. It's a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. Isadora's whispering <laughs> dog, and we have been talking about Chongo. I think about Chongo every single day. Oh, I wish I knew that, Bert. So <laughs> you would have sat perfectly fine right here. Told that someone informed you to break. Nope, nope. No one told me. We could have put a little microphone right here for him every with peanut butter on it. And then he'll re he rebuts with, "Oh well, Andrew's gonna be a movie star, so you can't." Like, bring Chongo. I would have. I would have. Well, we can always do round two. Oh, we will definitely do that. Chongo will have his own episode. So at our 25-minute mark, let's kind of close it out with like a really quick positive thing. Um, I feel like this whole podcast has been pretty positive, which is, I mean, I don't want to talk bad about our police department, but often our, our, our behind-the-badge
he's looking at his feet and he's going up and down and he just has this reaction on his face like this is the greatest day of my two-year-old life and uh and i snapchatted it and i forgot to save the snapchat but so i know i'm sure my wife has um video of him just like oh, i'm on top of the world the moon bonds the greatest thing ever that's so cute well thank you so much for coming in this was a joy thank you for having me i love doing yeah. things locally so i mean i know you've done like a million of these in the past month so. yeah but it's good to do it local and uh if you're once you're in hollywood we'll get you back on yeah we'll get you back yeah. on for the, for the movie part of the ride <laughs> hopefully hopefully but then you'll have to bring chandra yeah, Chandra probably Chandra's Chandra's grandfather by then, <laughs> <laughs> or grandson. I mean, well, thank you so much for coming in. This has been really great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Hi again, it's me. I hope you all know that by now. Um. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I definitely loved talking to Andrew Biggio. He's super fun. Um, Yeah. So as always, follow us on social media. Our Facebook is Casa Community Action for Safe Alternatives. And our Instagram is Casa underscore Yab. On our social medias, you can find um, our summer programming schedule as well as more information for a very, very special event towards the end of the summer. It's actually in the beginning of August, but hey, that's the end of my summer, you know? Um, called the Battle of the Bands, Battle of the Barbecues. It's basically an open mic night, but there will be a little maybe so friendly competition between the fire department and the police department in Winthrop um, to see who can make the best burgers make the best hot dogs maybe make the best ribs we'll see that is on august 6th at 5 p.m at ingleside park in winthrop massachusetts we hope to see you all there and uh if we don't then i'll see you in the next episode bye guys